Welcome to the UFTA Podcast. Hosted by Emily O'Connor and Jordan Rudolph. The UFTA Podcast brings you a surprisingly fresh take on everyday topics in health, fitness, and everything in between. We want to open the door to explore new information and new solutions in a way that's easy for you to understand and apply to your own life. Let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Rudolph. Welcome back to episode four of the UFTA podcast. We are going into a couple deep dive uh, subjects today that kind of are related and kind of following a theme. Uh, once again, uh, I'm joined by coach extraordinaire, Coach Emily. Coach Emily, how are we doing today? I am good. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited for today's episode. I'm excited to uh, get my full recovery after Beer, Wine, and Cheese Fest this weekend. And if you know me, it wasn't a lot of wine or cheese that I'm recovering from. Um, a lot of the other stuff. But uh, yeah, got to see you guys there. You enjoyed it yeah. too. Yeah, it was fun. My family was in town. Uh, my brother and his girlfriend got to come up for it, and she had never actually been to Wisconsin. So she got the ultimate introduction to Wisconsin experience uh, through craft beer and very little wine as well, but probably lots of cheese. Uh, to to taste and and try to fulfill the Wisconsin experience for mm-hmm. her first round. So I did have a great piece of hot pepper sausage um, and a great like two great cheese curds. I don't even remember where they were from. Just phenomenal. Ooh, yeah. Like like super super good. Yeah, we had um, a local business shout out Bubba's Meat Sticks, that's, and that's, they had that's the pepper yeah. one, the hot one. Oh yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah, that really was good. good. <laughs> so yeah, really, we really had, good. we enjoyed those as well. Yeah. Uh, so guys, once again, thank you for joining us and being here. We appreciate you tuning in uh, wherever you're from, however you're tuning in. Um, and, and we're excited to kind of continue bringing these topics. We we have a lot to cover in each week. We have a lot that we want to get through. Um, unfortunately, we have to do it one episode at a time, but we're hoping that this is really kind of a standpoint where you're starting to get a little bit more out of how we're running these episodes and how we're kind of uh, pushing this, we're we're starting. We're going to start to get community involvement. Uh, when I say community, uh, lacrosse area, the greater lacrosse area, we're going to start getting professionals involved in some of these episodes in the near future. Uh, we've had several conversations, and we're excited to get them on the show in the near future. But as always, if there's things that we can cover that uh, pertain to you and your health and fitness. There's a 99.9% chance that there's also pertaining to somebody else's. So if we can cover those subjects and talk about those things, like that helps us too. Uh, but obviously we have an arsenal of things that we're going to go through in the coming weeks. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go through seasons of the show. And uh, yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep pushing episodes out from there. Yeah, I agree. We have a whole list kind of to cover. But as you kind of venture into whatever your fitness journey may be, um, definitely let us know. And I guess without further ado, we can hop in. I'll give you a quick preview of what's to come in today's episode. Um, Our trending fitness topic that we'll get into first. We're going to talk a little bit on lung capacity uh, as it relates to longevity. So that'll be in that trending. We have some research uh, that Jordan is bringing here. We are then going to hop into nutrition, uh, talking a little bit about perfectionism in nutrition and how that can kind of stop us from moving forward uh, and taking that action that is oh so necessary to move forward in our fitness goals from as it relates to nutrition. 
uh, and then our main topic for today is going to be training through injury. Uh, training around injury, training with injury, potentially a little coming back from injury, uh, which is also a listener-requested topic. So kind of getting that one uh, right off the bat in, in there as well. Yeah, there's... We, 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 that's kind of the, the one that we just kind of talked about yesterday and, and want to get going, but we think it's very relevant and there's some personal stuff that we want to make sure gets out there too. And, and I am super personally, super excited to get to that topic. I think there's a lot that we have to cover that we can really, truly deep down, help people, uh, on a level to always have them moving forward and not having them feel like there's an injury that causes uh, a setback. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I think sometimes injury can definitely feel like it stops you in your tracks but it doesn't have to be that way as long as we kind of employ those strategies and refer to the right professionals to kind of help us move through that and navigate that time period. For sure. For sure. Let's dive in. Awesome. Longevity and lung capacity. You want to take it away? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, one of the big things that we look at for longevity guys that's been well known is grip strength. And I know that's not what we're going to kind of cover today, but this is a very big topic because grip strength is a unique test. It's a unique unique parameter that is directly correlated to longevity. And basically the stronger your grip strength is, the more likely you are to live longer, I think is the easiest way to say that. Yeah, I right? think it's simple as that. And it seems funny to think about that because why does grip strength matter at all? And then we start thinking about like, okay, maybe it's just a relative overall, like how the brain's functioning within the muscles that is isometric contraction, controlling a distal limb all of the things like we can go through rabbit holes of it and i'm sure there's better literature out there that shows talks about it but from our standpoint what we cover grip strength right so cool we understand that well there was a study that was done a 29 year study unfortunately the sample size is very small and it's very spread out from 20 to 89 years old is that what it was 20 to 89 yeah it was a huge age range i remember that from reading um it. let's see 20 to 89 years um, from all listed households of the city of Buffalo, New York. Always a Buffalo connection somewhere. Yeah, always Buffalo I'm connection somewhere. I'm from Buffalo somewhere. if people, if listeners don't actually know that. Yeah, <laughs> so they, it was a 29-year follow-up um, that they took 554 men and 641 women from those age ranges and basically followed up on them. And, and what they did is they, they did baseline measurements performed in 1960 to 1961 and pulmonary function was assessed and basically pulmonary function guys is the is a is a lung function test it's a test of your lungs and there's if you haven't had them done there's there's a multitude of tests that you can go through and, and go under the big things that uh, from the anatomy standpoint and like advanced anatomy standpoint and this is stuff that goes back into what i studied in college and what like a athletic trainer chiropractor doctor physical therapist goes through in their grad school it's going through tidal volume and minute volume and vital capacity, residual capacity, residual volume, total lung capacity. Like there's, their list goes on and on and on. But these tests test that. And through all of this, there's two different types of parameters that um, are disorders for lung function. Are they obstructive? Are they restrictive? And then there's two different methods you can you can do to basically. Uh, you can you can wear a mouthpiece and do this, and then you can stand inside a box, an airtight box, um, and and do the test, right? But ultimately, it tests your lung function. 
and how your function is doing, and there's parameters, then there's baseline measurements that you have to get. And this new test, or this new study, uh, I shouldn't say this new study, this 29-year-old study, um, basically took everybody through that test, which hasn't changed in that amount of time, and they came up with lung capacity being the best predictor of lifespan for people. So how well lungs are functioning is the biggest thing. And we think about it for a really quick second and just like, how is that possible? It's not that hard. If you can't breathe, you're dead, right? So how you're breathing um, from the standpoint of everything, how much oxygen you're able to take in with each breath, how much your lungs are able to expand and actually are, uh, the pulmonary, the, um, uh, the lung function in terms of like uptake of oxygen and, and delivering that oxygen into your airways and everything else is that working uh, to its highest level. Like all of those things are considered through these tests and the people that seem to be having the longest lifespans are the people that seem to be having the better test of that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I always, like you kind of touched on, I always kind of thought of grip strength as that kind of number one predictor and it's obviously still up there, but like you said, just thinking about lung capacity and as it relates to so many things, um, just as simple as, living right obviously uh before we even do anything but as we move as we exercise whether that is in exercise as a structured uh session or just moving throughout the day the ability to carry your groceries inside right also probably ties in a little bit of grip strength there as well um but the ability for the body to inhale the oxygen utilize the oxygen, make sure we're getting a full breath, but then at the same time, exhale the CO2 to keep those levels at a normal normal rate um, and, and kind of keep everything functioning as it should be without overexertion during that breath um, throughout just, again, everyday life. Like we breathe without thinking about it. So as we are able to then breathe without thinking about it, to the most efficient and effective levels, uh, it's going to task the body less and therefore, again, contribute to that longevity as well. So super interesting um, kind of research there in terms of like reframing that longevity discussion. Mm -hmm. And it's, can we train for this? Can we work on this? The answer mm -hmm. is yes, like we, we absolutely can, but there might be medical assistance needed for some of this as well. Like Emily just mentioned right there and kind of what I was talking very sciencey technically in the beginning, but like generalization stuff of uh, the test of this pulmonary function, lung function test can be done anywhere. Like you can do it at any hospital. You can, you have to ask for it. And our vouch at the end of this will probably be saying, well, if this study is indeed as true and real as it says it is, we should probably doing be doing more of this lung function test, this pulmonary function test as a regular basis, like on our mm -hmm. annual appointments, right? Um, but total lung volume, capacity, rates of flow, and then gas exchange. So like, are you exchanging the CO2 and the oxygen and everything else that kind of goes through that? The disorders that could be coming in and out of the lungs, uh, the obstructive side of things, um, is when the air has trouble flowing out of the lungs due to airway resistance, which causes a decreased flow of air. Whereas restrictive is when the lung tissue and or chest muscles can't expand enough, which creates problems with airflow, 
mostly due to lower lung volumes. And if those of you that don't know, know your anatomy, our lungs are not symmetric. There's two different, the, the, the left lung, the left lobe and the right lobe are different. And it's the right lobe that has the third, uh, the third, like the lower portion, the lower lobe, which is the most dense oxygen portion in a lung. And you can only basically reach that at a high level from deep breathing and learning how to breathe correctly and learning how to diaphragmatic breath, uh, get your diaphragm activated and, and do true deep breathing. And like we said in our social media post a few weeks ago when we first found this study, we do breathing before every single workout in the gym. And we have done that since day one. And if there's anything that I guess we need to talk about this from our standpoint, from a fitness professional standpoint, um, I think one of those things that people often overlook is the breathing side of it. Like, oh, why do I need to breathe? Well, guess what? Like, this study proves why, but also breathing is the simplest thing that we could probably screw up and also do better on, and it has an impact on how your core engages and how your body responds to mobility and flexibility. And uh, how your brain kind of reacts to certain situations. It's the easiest thing we can do to train and now it's potentially the best predictor of uh, lifespan. So from that standpoint, we should probably make sure we're taking breathing seriously, which we've tried to do. It's literally, guys, the first thing. Like it's the very, very, well, sometimes foam rolling. Yeah, usually it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. usually it's after foam rolling. Yeah, yeah, but it's the first thing we do in our, in our range of motion activation movement prep, guys. It's that powerful breathing in, in this lung capacity now. Yeah, I think, I think, like you said, a lot of times we can overlook it or just like, oh, that's just my breathing drill. But when we can relate, just like we can with any goal, when we can relate it to a bigger thing, such as longevity, lifespan, right, we can then tie in that importance of breathing uh, to not only that exercise session, but everything else as well. And it is a trainable skill, right? Like we can learn to diaphragmatic breathe we can learn how to better use the diaphragm in order to pull air into the lungs we can learn how to better use our core muscle musculature and other kind of rib musculature to exhale fully and expel all of the air out expel all of the excess co2 out so that we can better then refill with oxygen uh, which can be then, again, utilized by the body as we breathe. So it is a trainable skill, but it's only trainable if we train it seriously, if we put intention behind those breaths, if we are utilizing the inhaling through the nose to draw oxygen into those deepest parts of the lungs, especially that kind of right side there, and then exhaling through the mouth to expel the most CO2 uh, that is that is possible kind of with each breath there as well. So kind of drawing in those just those little details I think that can sometimes get missed as we go through because breathing is such an involuntary thing throughout the day that when we go to voluntarily breathe, we're often not used to thinking about it in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that we can easily just take for granted, like walking, right? Right. We, we talk about walking in episode one. We just assume that we're walking correctly, but like, Mm-hmm. Most people don't, right? So you're teaching them how to use their glutes again and breathing, teaching people how to use their breathing muscles again, specifically the diaphragm. And we tend to get, we, we, we as humans tend to get too 
uh, chest dominant, shoulder dominant. We, we're using the wrong muscles as our primary breathing muscles um, rather than like having being secondary and tertiary. Like the, you know, we want to get obliques and internal, you know, interco- like all the other stuff, diaphragm, like all the stuff down in our belly mm-hmm. and then having the chest kind of fill up secondary to that. Uh, which most of us just breathe through our chest. We get restrictive, we get tired, uh, we're tight, we sit too much, and, and, and those muscles uh, tend to do the primary focus of the breathing, which then is kind of that restrictive version, and we don't, we don't get the quality of breath. But like Emily said, when we take in, when we take in the breath and we, we have an intention behind it, we do it the right way, from a fitness side, that's what we can try to handle here along with training cardio. Right, we right. can we can train cardio stuff and help with lung capacity and and uh, volume and all of that stuff too. But if you if you are still if you still have restrictions or something in that lungs that's restricting, um, there there that's where like the medical side of the field could come into play. There's chiropractors and physical therapists out there that can help mobilize your ribs because you could be so tight from the ribs and and stuck in your rib cage that your diaphragm can't actually activate and move like you want it to anyway because there's there's a there's a joint restriction which then again could compromise movement and this is kind of on down deep levels but just letting you know from from the fitness side of things this is kind of how we can help with it too right teaching you how to breathe is one of the best things in our minds that we can do not only for the subject that we're talking about today but for the subject of fitness right if we can get you ready for what you're about to do and it's just something as simple as breathing. We don't understand why more people aren't focusing on this, right? Why would you start your session with 10 minutes of running or 10 minutes of uh, burpees or 10 minutes of, you know, something without just just getting the breath right first? If it has, if it's that powerful for everything that we just talked about. Absolutely. It sets that foundation, right? And so mm-hmm. instead of just hopping into everything cold turkey, it's in addition to all of our other ramp kind of movements that we use at unity but breathing is that most foundational movement uh that we can do that will affect every single thing that we do uh following that did they in the wing hoff book was that the one you just read with breath i did did they talk about the breathing times did we get that right when our posts and social media like what can we can we tell people like a quick deep breathing um, without going down too far of a rabbit hole, <laughs> he's got a whole book on it, guys, and yes. he's got a whole different. He it's a certification. You become a practitioner. One of our members actually had a had a coach coach him about it, uh, coach him on it years ago for a bachelor party. It's how they kicked it off. So fascinating conversation that we had with Colin, um, and, and and I wanted to keep picking his brain more, but we we had to get work done. Um, so we'll we'll get more and more as it comes along, but. Uh, you know, I think we said five seconds inhale, one second pause, mm-hmm. seven second exhale, two second pause is kind of like a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each part of that inhale, pause, exhale, pause, if, if you can't inhale all the way or if you can't hold your pause or if you can't exhale fully or you can't hold your pause after the exhale, that's kind of like a test for something that shows us how to help. Yeah, so I think that's a, that's a solid timing in terms of that diaphragmatic breathing. Wim Hof, and I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole, but he talks a lot about changing your state with your breath. So he does a lot of work with more, uh, you would know it as like hyperventilating breaths, if you will. So not necessarily what we are talking about in terms of diaphragmatic breathing and the full use of the lungs, but more so in changing the state of the body. Um, So bringing yourself into kind of that hyper aware state, which a lot of times we are already in. 
Um, but again, to not go down that rabbit hole, to do it more intentionally uh, through his breathing techniques, but in terms of diaphragmatic breathing, full function of the lungs, um, I like that kind of like five seconds in, one second pause, seven out, two second pause that you had referred to, or some variation of that, right? Box breathing um, <clears throat> is kind of that term where we can kind of expand or uh, contract some of those times, but in general, kind of allowing time and slowness in all different areas, the inhale, the pause, the exhale, the pause, uh, instead of, you know, forcing ourselves into that very quick chest dominant uh, breathing that we often just use kind of day to day. Yeah, a couple different techniques there, guys. You can look this up. That's that's kind of the the very basic ones there. Box breathing, deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. There's there's probably different education pieces, certifications that talk differently. But the the big thing is you recognize the power of breath and breathing correctly. I've I've said this a lot lately in my nutrition coaching uh, to people. We might as well when we're when we're handling certain things or trying to achieve certain goals, we might as well do the things that we can control, like do what we can control, do what we can, right? We will we'll control the controllables. We won't worry about the other stuff until they happen or if they happen, then it's just the way things are going to happen. But at least we're doing the things that we are able to do, mm-hmm. right? One of those things that we can do for our lung capacity side of things is work on some cardio work. The other thing that we can do is work on breathing and we can continue, continue to work on breathing and, and help with that part of it, right? You might as well do the things that you're able to do. I think that's a, unless you have anything else to say, a great segue kind of into our nutrition topic. I like uh, it because that's going to be a big part of it. I was going to say, yeah, you're setting it up perfectly. Um, so diving into nutrition, uh, a lot of, some conversations we've been having recently with people is kind of not knowing what to do um, in terms of, and again, we'll frame this in terms of nutrition. There's obviously qualities and bleed over that can happen in fitness and exercise and all the things like that as well. But the idea of not being sure what to do so we don't do anything at all, Um, kind of that paralysis by analysis, if you will. There's so many options out there in terms of what food do I eat? How do I do this? What time do I eat? Right? That we get so bogged down by maybe it's information, maybe it's lack of information, but we don't know what to do. We don't know what is the most perfect option so we don't do anything at all which is probably the worst option we can choose um, in terms of nutrition so kind of diving into here that importance of the action piece even if it's not the most perfect option right so kind of like Jordan was talking about kind of taking the action doing what you know you can do even if it's not perfect right so For example, say in a perfect world, we have, you know, a pound of vegetables per day. But if we can't have a pound and instead we have no vegetables, right, like not really ideal. But what if instead of a pound, we just had, you know, vegetables at two out of three meals or one out of three meals or had some carrots as a snack? Maybe they aren't even in any of the meals, right, as that starting point, kind of finding what actions we can do even if they're not perfect and just taking those actions and allowing ourselves to course correct as we start to do that. You guys will probably find out by now, episode four, that Emily and I are not fans of the all or none thinking. 
and the all or none actions. So if you're listening to this and you are all or none thinker, you are going to be severely uncomfortable or disappointed in our continued takes on certain subjects because we are the all or none thinking is why you're in the trouble that you're in right now, right? There are several shades of gray in the middle, way beyond 50, several thousands, right? And we love to live in the gray area. Um, and that gray area is also kind of nice because we can also stay like weeks out from making big decisions from one end to the other, but we also don't have to get extreme about anything, right? And, and, and that's that there's a big component to essentially what we're talking about now that we're going into. So we always say to people when they missed a week of exercise or when they couldn't do anything on vacation, like, oh, I failed. Like the only way you can fail is if you give up, right? That's the worst thing that you can do. So in nutrition standpoint, it's not necessarily giving up by not doing anything, but the worst thing that you can do is by not doing anything, right? And then maybe giving up. So I, I said right four times there explaining that. So I hope we're all on the same page here when we, when we go through this. But the concept that we want you to get across is sometimes a little bit and working through something just enough of what you are able to do that given moment that day with all of the other stuff that we have going on in our lives or what you had happen that day, that all the stuff that you planned for and didn't plan for, that's enough oftentimes for what that is. And last week we talked about an episode where on the episode on nutrition where we label good foods and bad foods like labeling foods good or bad and how it has like that internal effect on what we feel about ourselves sometimes this all or none thinking or it does and that's sometimes this all or none thinking has a similar effect so just because you didn't get anything done or any of your goals done towards nutrition you know when it's six o'clock at night doesn't mean that you just have to give up then and have your bottle of wine or smash your bag of chips and salsa you know, slay your Oreos, you can still get some done and that's better than just doing that. And and the ultimate goal of what we're trying to tell you here is you do not have to be perfect. Perfect is a continued chase, a, a chase that you will never win. It's a race that you will never win and you will never be satisfied because you're always searching for perfection and the brain's always kind of searching for that perf- that, that piece that you're not perfect at yet. So you might as well just give up on that now. Yeah, I think that kind of relates to what we were talking about. Give up. (laughs) No more. No. I think that relates to kind of what we were talking about last week with the aesthetic piece, like where we, if we always talk about, we always chase aesthetics, it's similar to always kind of chasing perfection, right? We're never really there. We'll always strive to be more perfect. And this is coming from someone who perhaps has some perfectionist tendencies, uh, and I tend to like things in order in their very place I want to you know myself oftentimes strive for that perfection where living in that gray area is often a struggle for me as well so knowing that hey just because you know lunch wasn't great doesn't mean dinner can't be as well right if I didn't make the most perfect choice with my nutrition uh, we don't have to spiral and kind of go out at the same point We don't have to allow that perfectionism in our nutrition to prevent us from doing anything at all, right? So maybe even as you start to navigate this and recognize like, oh yeah, like that's me. So if you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, that's me, recognizing like, okay, what can I do to make things just 1% better, right? Can I include 
a vegetable? Can I, you know, take, maybe I'm writing down my food. Maybe I'm utilizing tracking and just start by writing things down. Don't start by trying to 180 degrees overhaul everything that you've been doing, but find just those small actions that are within your personal bandwidth to control and execute instead of trying to say, oh, I'm at A, I want to go to Z, what will take you from A to B? What is that small action, even if it's not perfect, where we can kind of say, all right, I'm going to get the ball rolling by laying out my meals for lunches this week, because I know I struggle with lunch choices, it has to be prepped ahead of time, I eat lunch out of the house, whatever the choice may be there, or whatever the situation may be kind of finding that lowest hanging fruit and saying, okay, instead of trying to tackle every single one of my meals, snacks, etc., I'm going to start with just my lunches and I'm going to nail that this week. Or if lunch is too big, I'm going to start with just writing down my food, not even changing anything to start, right? So finding that thing that's within your personal bandwidth and making that your first action as opposed to trying to be perfect right from the very first action that you take. And if you guys can't do that, and you're unable to do that, it's not a reflection of you as a person, right? If you can't even do the lunch that day, okay, I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to get a rotisserie chicken, a frozen bag of vegetables, and a frozen bag of rice, and I'm I'm just going to cook those in eight minutes, have them all done for me. Oh, Jordan, but I can't even do that. Okay, let's make a smoothie at home that takes four minutes. And, oh, but I had a smoothie for breakfast. At this point, we don't really care. It's something that you can still able, you're still able to do to stay on track. Because guess what happens? You always have time for chips and salsa and chips and wine or wine, right? That's the funny thing. How we don't have time for doing this and this, but you always have time to stop at McDonald's. You always have time for that extra bag of cookies. You always have time for that. You always have time for something. So you might as well just do the thing that you're able to do that helps you out the best, right? And again, at the end of the day, it is not a reflection of you. Right? That's what the, the biggest thing I think that we're trying to hammer home from last week too. Do what you're able to do. Emily just gave you 10 different things right there that you're able to do. But at the end of the day, we, we have to understand, be aware enough that it's not a reflection of you and the person that you are and the goals that you have. It doesn't make your goals not worthy. It doesn't mean that, oh, my goals must not be strong enough because they're not making me emotionally uh, strong enough to make better decisions or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it doesn't, all that stuff still matters. There's just other things that I told Emily this morning I was, in a, I was in a little bit of a turmoil of when I was going to get my workout in, which I'm exhausted today, didn't sleep well last night, really sore from my workout yesterday, probably still recovering from beer, wine, and cheese, even though I thought I did pretty well. And I was going to go home, get some stuff done and have a meeting with Mandy, come back, work out, do this, go home, come back for our team meeting. And, and I told her that I just had too many other, there was too many other people that basically got in the, in the way that I thought my morning was going to go, right? I, I was members and I'm not saying this in a negative way. It just threw me off my schedule. So then now I'm like, what, what am I able to do, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes living in the adaptation world and the spontaneity world is kind of the way that we need to thrive a little bit or expect a little bit of that. Um, but still taking care of the things that we can still take care of. I got my workout in. I have a little bit of a, a post-workout banana, and now I got to go home and eat, shower, have the meeting, come back, right? Right. So I'm still on schedule, still have some things to take care of, but I'm still there. So just kind of working within those parameters too of sometimes whatever the day gives you is what you need to be ready to kind of take back and give back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of an important note is where like it maybe can vary day to day, right? Like I think 
do, how you chase your specific health and fitness, and in this case, nutrition goal, can be different from day to day. Like my today might not look like to my tomorrow, mm-hmm. but identifying those big rocks that I know that I am capable, regardless of the day that I'm thrown, to keep in there uh, is going to be much more beneficial than saying, oh, this isn't the day that I was expecting. I'm, you know, I'm out, right? Like all or nothing. Again, not not about that all or nothing thinking here on the, the Oofta podcast. The Oofta podcast is definitely not about that. There was a book that changed, man, I downloaded this probably seven or eight years ago, uh, The Pursuit of Perfect by Tal Ben-Shahar, PhD, New York Times bestselling author of Happier. So you wrote a book, Happier, prior to The Pursuit of uh, Perfect. Um, and uh, it's Start Living a Richer, Happier Life is kind of like the tagline behind it. But the big thing is the pursuit of perfection, this this pursuit of being perfect is a negative mindset, right? It, it triggers a lot of negative reactions and, and a lot of uh, reactive thoughts that you have. It's it's kind of making it a little bit more negative because you're, you're kind of always looking at the things that are, aren't where you want them to be and you're kind of responding to all the things that aren't the way that you want them to be yet. So it, it tends to come off a little bit uh, negative, right? Not saying that you are a negative person, anything like that, but the thought of perfect kind of goes into that, right? And, and then again, you start looking at all the bad things. And uh, that's kind of the little last bit that I wanted to get on that. It's I, I listened to this book. It's probably worth a listen again because it was a really good one. I remember writing a blog post on it. Um, but yeah, looks like he's a he's a... Uh, he's a psychology professor, positive psychology professor at Harvard, um, and takes you through kind of everything behind the the science behind it, but also kind of how to how to help you through some of that stuff. Personal success, psychology, sociology are the three tags in it from Audible. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think recognizing the kind of reframing, if you will, like as we pursue, like if you're if you're pursuing perfect, and like Jordan said, always looking at kind of what can be better. We're forgetting the fact of all of maybe the, or overlooking is probably a better better word than forgetting all of the things that we have done that are, that are moving us towards our goals uh, in a positive way and that we have succeeded in. We're only focusing then on what we've messed up in, how we've messed up without recognizing like, hey, like starting this again and continually having that drive and that tenacity to keep pursuing the goal is a win in and of itself regardless of if the actions are you know that perfect option or not but when we look at the perfection side of it we just see like oh I wasn't perfect here I must have you know been terrible so disconnecting again like we were talking about last week ourselves and and making those actions not necessarily a reflection of us uh, and, and pursuing action as opposed to in pursuing that perfection uh, prior to taking the action itself. Yeah. And this, again, we can kind of segue right in because it's, it's, it's a little bit of a theme thing again here. The, the action and having intention behind that action is, is where we're at. And that can kind of segue into our main topic that we're going to cover today, which is basically... Uh, training or sticking to your fitness goals while being injured and again that all or none thinking will be the first thing that we can address on this since we're already there with nutrition and we've already talked about it before 
that all I'm not thinking in this circumstance of being injured or hurt is something that will, will kind of foil your plans in terms of your uh, the quality of work that you think you can get done if you feel like you're injured, kind of like the broken wind type of, th- type of thing, where therefore, oh, I can't do anything at all because I'm broken, or I can't do anything at all because I'm hurt, so I shouldn't do anything at all. Um, but that's kind of our main our main topic that we yeah, wanted to cover. Go right into it. Yeah, I say if you had anything else we can cover on the nutrition side of things, otherwise we can... I think we, we hop right in. Perfect, we dive right in. So the big thing, guys, is we will... It, the more active we are, the more that we do, the more likely we are to have something come up. Sometimes there's little hiccups, sometimes there's little strains, sometimes there's little overwork injuries, sometimes there's little over-intensity injuries, whatever we want to say it. Uh, and sometimes it's not injured at all, it's just little hiccups, right? So there's there's the definition of like being injured or hurt. Are you actually injured? Or are you just not feeling well? Soft tissue versus joint. There's a lot of stuff to consider when it comes through this. But ultimately at the end of the day, no matter what type of hurt or injury, quote unquote, that you may have, there's still always something we can do. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to involve the muscles or joints that are not feeling well hurt. Bless you, Ryan. Uh, injured or hurt, we can work around it. But there's always something we can still do. Right? That's the biggest thing that I wanted to make sure we got away from this one. When those things happen, there's still always something that we can do and we can do really well. So we might as well, again, put that in our control and do that and, and not just completely drop everything. Yeah, I think too often when we are injured, a lot of times it, when we're speaking of injury, right, it often comes out of our control and unexpectedly. So a lot of times we aren't, no one goes into say a workout, for example, expecting to get injured. Oftentimes it's the unexpected, it's the unplanned, perhaps happening at the worst time uh, in your training, right? Usually happens unexpectedly when you're feeling really good. uh, And sometimes it might just come on as a fluke, but the ability to kind of deal with that unexpected and say, okay, these are the cards that I'm dealt. You know, I hurt my ankle, perhaps squatting isn't the best idea today, but what could I do instead? Instead of saying, I'm injured, over it, done, nothing else is happening. Um, And especially if it's an injury that extends for, for a period of time in our recovery from that, recognizing that through training and movement, we have the ability to influence the outcome from that injury um, in terms of rate of recovery sometimes, oftentimes in terms of how good we feel or how bad we feel coming out of that recovery period. We have control over that and we have influence over that uh, in that period. So taking advantage then of the time when we might be injured instead of saying, oh, I'm not going to do anything at all, reframing and saying what can I do like Jordan was talking about and how can I best work within the constraints of where I'm at with the injury that I have and again that'll be a very individual kind of case-by-case basis injury-by-injury basis but recognizing uh, that in and of itself is you know within our control and the ability to do that as well. Yeah, the big thing is understanding that when we do have something come up, 
we can train through it in certain areas, whether it's range of motion, sometimes it might be painful enough where we just drop it altogether. As fitness professionals, we are not under the licensure legality to diagnose. Sometimes we might say, hey, we think it might be this, or hey, you may have something going on here like that, but we, we cannot diagnose. But what we can still do is work around it, and we can still work through it. So a lot of times the first thing we do is drop the weight. We, we, we decrease intensity. The next thing we do is check range of motion. The next thing we do is maybe work on stability or mobility. We can, we can take the movement back itself, but we can still train. So a lot of times if somebody comes in with a shoulder something, okay, well, the shoulder's not the lower body, so we can still train the lower body, and we can probably still train the lower body pretty hard. And let's say the shoulder hurts when any time the arm's lifted up to the side, out to the side, up in front of them. Okay, so maybe a goblet held something or holding a weight doesn't work either, so let's just do everything that we can with keeping the hands down, and we can hang on to the weights while they're below us, and we can still train in that position and still do all of those things and not have to worry about the upper body. And here's the other thing. That's probably just one shoulder we're talking about, so what's going on with the other one? It's fine. Okay, let's train the opposite shoulder. Let's train the opposite side. Oftentimes, and research will support this, is that working on the other limb or the other arm or other leg will help the opposite one or the primary one that's not feeling well, hurt, injured, etc. recover faster, right? So there's always something that you can do. I, my personal story about this is I had a plica in my knee it's still there. Um, I can work around it now um, if I'm not too aggressive with lower body stuff and volume-wise and everything else. But I had an arthroscopic knee surgery eight years ago, almost, yeah, I think eight years ago. And uh, the recovery was supposed to be six weeks. They removed a big plica, like the biggest plica Mayo apparently has ever seen at that time eight years ago. And my recovery time went more like six months. There was a problem with when they removed the plica and like a new one grew back in and it was a whole big deal. But anyways, I couldn't do lunges, step ups, squats, running, everything hurt. And I was a fitness professional at the time. I was a personal trainer. So first of all, I had to be on crutches and maybe not, not do anything for a week or two. I couldn't weight bear it, right? So I had to, I had to at that time, I couldn't work. Um, but I also, what I did in that time that I couldn't work physically is that I went home and I studied continuing education of post-rehabilitation, corrective exercise, how to help people through this stuff. And I realized like a lot of it's just working through proper mobility drills and stability drills and stance, balance, posture, X, Y, Z. Well, then my recovery took a lot longer than it was supposed to. Um, so I, I wrote a specific program of more of like a power lifter. <laughs> um, I can't lunge, I can't squat, I can't bend my knee, I can't put weight on it, so what can I do? Well, I can hip hinge, so I can deadlift an RDL, I can bench press, I can pull up, I can row for some positions. So what happened? I set PRs in pull-ups, I set PRs in bench press, I set PRs in deadlifts, and deadlifts all of a sudden became something that uh, not only I was scared of because they always hurt my back, uh, but something that I did correctly, and something that I got very good at and very like a, a love, a passion for it, then I started coaching it. Same thing with pull-ups, like I found three of the main exercises that we can do from a strength standpoint, if you will, um, in my programs and they never left. They were part of my program every every week and I just created a program around those three and what I could do to help those three. And guess what happened? I didn't stop my time in the gym. I still worked out three or four days a week. 
I got stronger, I got better, and here we are today, right? So when that stuff happens, we can work around it. If the, if the coach is willing to, the professional is willing to, they can work around it, and so can you. But the last thing that I ever thought about was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to work out now for six months, mm-hmm. right? That, that would have that that never crossed my mind. So yes, some days your body might need a rest. Yes, sometimes that is the best medicine. Um, and your doctor might tell you that if you go talk to your doctor, which with the education that they have and what they've learned about exercise, strength, and, and conditioning, and fitness, and per, uh, uh, fitness programming, um, yes, that still might be the best thing. But we can still train around certain things too. And we can still work through those and we can still get our results. We can still take care of nutrition. We can still take care of, of the little things in between that are, again, still in our control. Yeah, I think you touched on um, some super powerful things there in terms of building the program that supports you as the individual uh, and where you are at. Uh, and in addition, like referring out, like building yourself a team of professionals that you trust, that are familiar with you, that are familiar with your health history, your specific injury, uh, and not only training around that injury, but then doing things that will help to overcome that injury and move through it and influencing positively that recovery process. So the ability to have a physical therapist in your corner, like Jordan said, as coaches, we can't necessarily diagnose you, but the ability to have a physical therapist or a chiropractor or in some cases a medical professional in your corner that can diagnose you, that can get you on the right track as far as recovery goes uh, can be super powerful in terms of training around that injury and in terms of kind of your mental health and outlook and approach to that injury as well, right? A lot of times when we get injured, we spiral into worst case scenario, injured forever, never will get through it. But when we arm ourselves with the education, when we refer to the professionals that are able to tell us what is exactly wrong, we then are able to know what the exact solution or potential solution might be. And that action can be the cure to kind of those spiraling thoughts of like, I am injured forever, whatever shall I do? Uh, and I think that can be even more powerful uh, in, in recovery from something like that. Just the Probably the first job that we have in our case when somebody comes in and gets injured or whatever, whatever, whatever else happens kind of in between that hurt, it's a lot of times... We, we just have to get you out of your own head, get you out of the panic, because the, the fight or flight, the stress behind what you're creating, the energy that you're putting into that hurt or injured area of your body is probably the thing that can make this exponentially worse when it doesn't even need to be like that. And I get the freak out part of it. I injured my shoulder last year, freak fluke injury. We're pretty sure we kind of have an idea that there was a torn labrum or something or other in my left shoulder. Happened in the first round of golf last year, swinging through about five layers and trying to swing fast in about 35 degrees. Um, and probably not sleeping on it correctly with the right pillow, positions, everything else. And literally the, the whole year last year, shoulder was, was after. I think in our, in our MindBody app, we can, we can label notes. We can label notes for our people to help our coaches kind of know if, if someone's coming in, if something happened. We can kind of leave notes for our coaches on there. And I'm on there, and I was the test subject of us trying this out. 
there's a big red triangle with an exclamation point in the middle of it, and it says totally shoulder is totally effed. Is that yeah. what it is? Shoulder is totally yeah. effed. It's still there. Yeah, it's still there. But it will get better, is what I put on there. Or but it will get there. It is gonna get better. Something yeah. like that. But shoulder is totally effed, right? Couldn't lift my arm more than a few inches. I trained all of last year. Again, I trained all of last year. I trained through it, trained what you could do it. Again, there's never gonna be a time where I feel like I can't do something. So what am I able to do? And sometimes it might not be the things that you like. It might not always be the things that you want to do, but there's still always something that we can do. And that's the biggest thing that we wanted to get get to you guys today when you're, when you're training through something like that. If you surround yourself with the team, the professionals, the support and the education, there's still something that we can do to help. And there's still something that you can do to get you closer to your goals because we know how powerful fitness is and how that can kind of help everything else uh, pick up and get better from that standpoint as well. So we got to get you out of your own head. Mm-hmm. We got we, we, we Sometimes we have to settle you down, right? And, and again, two significant injuries, that shoulder thing. I tore my PCL in a senior year of high school, so I've had a few. And uh, but I never stopped doing what I was able to do. I remember in high school, I tore my PCL, couldn't do anything. Right, knee was swollen; it swelled like a balloon. It's like four times the size it was supposed to be. We elected not to do surgery. So what did I do? I shot free throws in basketball practice every day for like 15 weeks. I couldn't do anything <laughs> else, so I just found a hoop, and I would be in the corner, and I just shot free throws or I rebounded for the team. Right, I I, I couldn't do anything else, but I still found something to do that's our biggest thing that we want you to understand too. There's, there's still something to do, but sometimes we have to get you out of your own head and we have to kind of train that, that piece that we still can do. Yeah, absolutely. I think just like you said, focusing on the positive, right. And as, as challenging as that can be, sometimes that where that's where a coach can kind of provide that Mm -hmm. outlook because we are essentially like a, a third party, right. We're, we're not as tied, even though we, empathize with you and we care very much and we have personal experience kind of with those things uh, or similar things that coach who isn't in that very heightened emotional state can sometimes like help pull you out of that and provide that perspective uh, to to assist you moving forward as well. Yeah, the emotional state's key there, guys, because obviously that stuff, when you get emotional, it's because it matters, mm-hmm. right? And and it's easy to get emotional. I, I, I woke up at 5 a.m. in the morning about my shoulder thing last year and woke Mandy up because I couldn't lift it. I freaked out, right? I freaked the F out. And literally speed dialed, texted, didn't care what time it was. I was texting and calling every physical therapist and chiropractor I knew to try to see them as quickly as I could. And, and, um, again, the freak out happened, came into the gym. I remember like, I remember somebody asked me, right, are you okay? I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, and, and I, and again, the freak out part of it, but I had to get those guys in there and talk, I talked to Emily about it. I remember the day it happened, but I had to get the professionals in there to help me calm down and start getting on a path to getting better, knowing that I was already doing the right thing. So it was, it was, it was pretty wild and we understand the emotional state. So sometimes it's getting you out of that enough to, to kind of focus back on that logic piece to, to get you going in that right direction again and knowing that what you're doing is good. And again, not going all or none when you, when injury, these things happen, they come up. I don't think you've ever really been injured though. You must not uh, be training hard enough. <laughs> I, so I have <laughs> broken bones before. Um, not my biggest break of a bone was in seventh grade. I broke my collarbone. Um, Easiest bone to break in the body. Yeah. Uh, almost took out my dad doing it. He was standing right on the boards talking to my friend who was trying to come back too early from a concussion. 
lost an edge and uh, went right in, collarbone first. Um, and <laughs> I will say at that time, I did exactly what we are telling you not to do, which is a whole bunch of nothing. Um, I still went to team practices and did everything, but still skated a little bit. Um, but it was my left-handed side, uh, so I couldn't couldn't really even hold a stick with one hand, right? So I kind of went the the not doing much of anything, um, still walking, but but not. If I were to do that now, I can say with one hundred percent certainty that my kind of recovery process would be quite different, um, and. I'm kind of been in this good state. I'm going to knock on some wood here where I haven't had too many uh, serious injuries, but I think knowing, like, kind of to speak to the nagging, like, ooh, this kind of hurts, and getting proactive with it before it turns into anything better or anything worse, excuse me. So as opposed to kind of like Jordan was talking about his shoulder where it was like that instantaneous fluke, unexpected thing I'll oftentimes notice like, ooh, like my shoulder was bugging me after I did um, some overhead press stuff, or I was, when we were training for the technical strength challenge a few years ago, I was doing a lot of pull-ups, but not a lot of pushing. Um, And I noticed some kind of grip and shoulder things happening. So kind of in those moments where it might be an overtime thing, being able to kind of recognize that and also take the action to prevent anything more serious as opposed to, oh, this is kind of bugging me, but I'm just going to move through it and push through it. Uh, instead of that, kind of taking a step back and saying, hey, how can I get proactive in either changing what I'm doing because it's obviously pushing me down a path I don't want to go on, right? The body just responds to stimulus. So I'm not giving it the right stimulus if I'm getting injured or getting kind of feeling off or feeling hurt uh, or at the same time uh, changing what I'm doing and giving that body a different stimulus um, as well. So no, I haven't really had any kind of crazy injuries, but kind of addressing more of those fluke kind of over time things mm-hmm. um, has been more my my path of injury. Yeah, I mean, just in tune and, and, and for the most part, you're proactive on all of it to, to help it go away right away, do the right things right away, seek for the professional mm-hmm. uh, medical advice if need be, need be and, and going through that. There's there's a lot of different pieces there that when you stay in tune and, you're, and, and you don't get caught up so much in that emotional brain, you know, the elephant brain type of thing, you can stay in the thinky brain, the rider. Mm-hmm. You can kind of feel those things out as they come along and, and, and make the correct adjustments necessary to... Uh, keep moving forward in that path so it's good it's yeah good towards that yeah i mean also envious, but good. A, good, a good path to have but mm-hmm. more more so been those overtime things i haven't mm-hmm. again knock on wood done anything too crazy that's been that in the moment uh big yeah. time injury aside from like weird spontaneous circumstantial emergency type stuff that you could get injured from guys most of the times our injury is from something that we do too much of too much mm-hmm. or um kind of like too much of too much after not doing anything or just doing too much of too much while trying to just do, continue to do more right? right so it's it's usually too much of too much is the similar the common denominator there right mm-hmm. so whether that's through weight or repetition it, it or both that's usually where injuries come through um and 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 veer their ugly head through through everything 
but the ultimate thing is that there's still an ability for us to, like if you can't lift your arm overhead, uh, you can still do you can still do arms straight out in front of you. So that means we can still do like push-ups and bench press and rows and different types of stability exercises with the arms straight out in front rather than going overhead. So we can train in that range of motion, in that plane of motion. We can still uh, create different modifications for your program to then go forward. Uh, if you if there is a significant injury and it seems to be in the joint, that's where we would refer out to our uh, friends in the chiropractor or physical therapy, physiotherapy, medical world to get some uh, other professional help involved to make sure that you are on the right path. Uh, again, as our job from the fitness side of things, we are not here to diagnose. Is there soft tissue stuff every once in a while that we can handle 100%? Is there joint stuff? Probably. Um, and we probably try, but our rule is like if there's something going on two weeks or if it hampers your quality of life and it seems to be inside the joint. Just had a person this morning, hey, I can't straighten out my knee all the way. Look at this. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty significant. Okay, what do you want me to do? Well, I'm not going to tell you to do anything besides go see a doctor. Oh, really? Like, yep. <laughs> like he was looking for an answer for me and I told him this answer and not what he wanted to hear. Um, we're pretty sure there's arthritis involved in there, but I just, I, like, I'm not going to step on that and try to say like, yeah, range of motion, let's go through terminal knee extensions and quad strength, stretching, blah, blah, blah. Sure, we could do that, but he could also just go see the right person right away and, and get it cleaned up. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of referring back to having that team in your corner and kind of getting back to what you can do as fast as um, possible and working around that kind of on your on your journey back mm-hmm. is, is kind of our, our main points that we want to hammer home um, in terms of, again, kind of getting out of that all or nothing thinking as it relates to um, exercise and movement uh, as well as kind of like we talked on before, that nutrition piece. Yeah, the goal stays the same, right? Sometimes the goal is like, oh, okay, I want to not be injured as quick as possible now, but your goal still stays the same, whatever you're training for, and and you're still able to find, maybe you find new goals to help out, right? Little process goals, but you're still on track with your goal. You still have something that you're that you're training for, towards. Yes, the other part of it is get out of the mindset that you think this is going to go perfectly all the way through, like it's not going to go from A to B in a straight line and always get better you know, the way that we envision it, like there will be some setbacks, there will be some drop-offs, but they're not truly setbacks, it's just a different path than a straight line, right? We're turning around a little bit and going through that, but you're still on the path. Again, the only way that you're not is if you just totally give up. And sometimes rest is the best medicine, but as soon as you're done resting, what's usually happening? Post-rehabilitation, there's usually some sort of quote-unquote homework that you're given to do. So make sure you're doing that. We see people all the time that come back from a, like an injury or therapy or a surgery that don't do their homework, too busy, whatever else comes into play, those people are nine times out of ten worse off than the people that actually do their homework. We've seen both sides of it, guys. The people that don't do that stuff, the little things and the intention and the action, Emily's touched on those three words a few times today, that's that's the people that kind of go through it. But that we work with physical therapists and chiropractors literally every day. I have a missed call and a two-and-a-half-minute voicemail right now from a physical therapist that called during the show. So... Uh, we, we literally work with them every day. And that's not a knock on him, but that's uh, two and a half minutes because we're working on a, on a, uh, a couple different things. Um, but because we're unable through HIPAA and everything else, we have to do certain types of communication that uh, allow us to then have a one-on-one conversation to actually go through everything. We can't talk a lot, a lot about this stuff uh, through text and email because of HIPAA. So we have to do it very uh, uh, specifically to follow the Hippocratic side of things, right. which we are on board with as well. Yeah. 
I think that's it. I don't know if I have anything to add from what uh, from what you said. I think you tied it up nicely there. Yeah, you can always be doing something, and mm-hmm. we can always be doing something. I, I, again, the spine, the low back is a big one. That's a hard one because it's it, a lot of that's involved with other different things. So, but there's still stuff that we can do, even if it's just doing a bunch of calf raises and glute bridges and bicep curls and tricep pushdowns for somebody for a week or two. We can still do something. There's mm-hmm. always something and that's what i want to make sure like it doesn't you're, you're not off track right this whether we think this was meant to be or not we're still we're still in pursuit of our goal so still pursue it still still follow through with it absolutely absolutely i think that's all i got cool Looking good good yeah all right as always thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode uh we will catch you next week do we have some topics decided i don't think so yes and no all right We'll keep you in suspense, but until next time, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, Leave us a rating and review. Let us know what topics you want to see uh, in future episodes. But until then, bye. We'll see you later. Thanks, guys. Cheers.